0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Gals Chat podcast powered by Engineering Gals. This is your co-host, Amy.
1: And this is your co-host, Lara. In today's episode of the podcast, we're interviewing Emily Calandrelli at The Space Gal, who is going to talk to us about her experience as an engineer, TV show host, and mommy in STEM. This episode is sponsored by
0: Steel Chic Shoes, who offer women's fashionable steel toe shoes. Not only are they certified to meet OSHA standards, but they are lightweight and comfortable.
1: The shoes are designed to look good and keep you safe so you can confidently walk your own path. Steel Chic has a special offer for all Gals Chat listeners and guests. Use promo code ENGINEERINGGALS to get free shipping and a free water bottle when you purchase a pair of shoes. Now let's introduce this week's guest.
0: Emily is the host and co-executive producer of Emily's Wonder Lab on Netflix, as well as Exploration Outer Space on Fox. Along with that, Emily is also the author of Lace Adventures and Reach for the Stars, Stay Curious, and Keep Exploring Children's Books. Hey Emily, how
2: are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course, it was our pleasure.
1: We're really excited to get to know you better. Yeah, I mean, we see all the stuff that you post online on your Instagram, and it always looks so much fun. Like I wish my day to day work looked like that. But <laughs> to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about uh, yourself, your engineering journey, and you know, when did your interest in engineering and space begin?
2: Yeah, well, I came into this a little bit later in life. I wasn't one of those kids that liked rockets and spaceships and taking apart radios or whatever. When I was a kid, I didn't know anybody in science or engineering. I'm the first person in my family to pursue a degree in STEM. And the reason that I started to pursue it was because I knew that engineers made good money. (laughs) I literally Googled all the majors that one could major in in college, and I looked at their starting salaries. And that is how I decided to go into engineering. And so I kind of reluctantly joined it thinking this is going to be really hard, but I'm going to end up with a good job in the end. And it's just, I'm going to be sacrificing the next four years of my life. But I learned that A, I enjoyed this stuff, and I was good at it, and there were a lot of adventures that you can have along the way that are only afforded to students who are studying science and engineering. So I kind of reluctantly joined engineering, but then enthusiastically stayed and became kind of obsessed with it, and then have been trying to share that passion with others ever since.
0: Yeah, and your passion definitely... You know, shows through your TV show and everything else that you create online. So, how did you know that you wanted to go into the mechanical and aerospace? You know, you have your bachelor's in mechanical and aerospace engineering and then your master's in Aero Astro and another master's in technology and policies civil engineering. I'm really curious to know you know, why you picked those degrees.
2: When I went into engineering, I knew I had to choose a specific type because there are so many different types of engineering, but um, I really wanted to fly on the Vomit Comet, which is that parabolic airplane that flies like a roller coaster and the people inside float weightless like astronauts. And there was a program at my school at West Virginia University where if you studied aerospace engineering, you could take this class for credit To design a science experiment with your classmates and if that science experiment was good enough you could fly on the vomit comet for free um, with your experiment and it was a nasa program and i was really excited about it wanted to do that and that's how i decided to go into aerospace engineering Um, i tagged on mechanical engineering because it was only going to take an extra year of classes which sounded like a pretty good deal to me at the time and yeah, that's that's initially how I got into it.
1: That's pretty cool. And when did you know you wanted to go for your master's? Was that right after like undergrad or did you work for a bit? I, I think it's the first time I'm hearing like a master's in um, AeroAstro.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, that was like a standard. A, a lot of. Um, Most people I knew in my position were going to get their master's degrees uh, in AeroAstro. And I just thought I was good at school and I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do when I grew up. And so more school seems like a good idea. Um, And I just I really wanted to go to. more prestigious institution because I went to West Virginia University because I'm from West Virginia. My parents didn't have a lot of money and it was uh, basically free to go there, um, which was really, really wonderful. Leaving school without any student debt is kind of like a, uh, I feel like a unicorn in that way. But I wanted to add a a different name to my resume. And so applying to MIT and, and going to MIT for graduate school was one of my you know my proudest accomplishments that I've ever done. And that was something that I just I I wanted to do at the time.
1: Was that where you got both of your masters?
2: Yes. Yes.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: And then what is policy civil engineering? I don't the, think I've heard of that.
2: Yeah. So the masters is science and technology policy. So basically it's the intersection of science and technology and policy, meaning in my coursework, we studied everything from nuclear power to the pharmaceutical industry to the space industry and everything in between. And we looked at um, the framework of how the government should or could um, invest in these types of technologies. What is the government's role in that position? Um, if I were a policymaker, how does a scientist explain this technology to somebody who doesn't have any background in it so that they understand it well enough to be able to regulate it, to be able to add different policies around it to keep the public safe. And so it was just a different framework of thinking about science and technology that was really nuanced and really interesting because you you think about the ethics involved um, and you think about what is the role of the government, if any, in these situations. And I just, I love that way of thinking about science and technology. So I kind of shifted from learning about how to explain science and technology to policymakers to learning how to explain science and technology to the general public, which is what I do today.
1: That's pretty awesome. Is that, I guess, what sparked that interest in science communication? Or I I'm, feel like yeah. I'm, I'm really curious to see like what a career looks like, like after you got that sort of degree? Because I think it's really important. I think it's really like cool. Personally, I'm also really interested in that intersectionality.
2: Yeah, definitely. So a lot of people who get degrees go in that field. They go and work in DC and they work at a place like the Office of Science and Technology Policy, for example. So there's this whole career path that one could take if you were interested in science and technology as well as policy. Because a lot of the regulations that policymakers create around these technologies are you have to know the technology or the science so well to be able to do that thoughtfully. And so policymakers often have a whole team of people that help them understand that, or they hire a company that helps them understand that, for example. But For me, I kind of got into the world of science communication really early on. I really loved presenting to kids. So when I was in college throughout my college career, I would always be the one to volunteer to do the required outreach, which is usually a thing if you're doing, especially a NASA related project, there's a required outreach portion. So you're giving back to the community. Um, And I would always volunteer to do that and go and talk to the local middle schools, elementary schools, high schools about the research that we were doing. And I I loved that challenge, um, how to make something that seems really complicated and maybe boring, um, exciting and digestible and interesting to a younger audience. It was always something that I loved doing. It was a really fun challenge for me. Um, I think probably because I saw myself in a lot of those students as someone who didn't really care that much about science when I was younger, But wish that I knew more about it and wish that I had somebody who was able to bring science to life for me in the classroom. Um, And so I had practiced that skill set of presenting and communicating all throughout my college career.
1: That's so awesome.
0: Yeah. So so that's when you started posting a lot more about your journey in the space industry. I know you started around 2014, and that was around the same time when you were selected to be the host of Exploration Outer Space. Can you tell us more about how you landed that opportunity and then kind of continue to grow your career as a TV show host and producer of Emily's Wonder Lab?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's lots of pieces to the puzzle. That one uh, came randomly, to be honest. So when I was graduating from MIT and I was looking for a job, I got a call out of the blue that asked if I wanted to be the host of a new space TV show. It was I wasn't looking for it. I had no experience in TV. I did have a lot of videos of me talking about science and space to kids and to the community because of all that outreach work I did on my own with no intention of it becoming a career. But when they were searching for a woman in aerospace, I came up and they could find videos of me explaining science and tech in a way that they felt would translate well to TV. So that happened very randomly. But when you do a TV show like that, it's not a full-time job. Um, That probably took 25% of my time And the salary was pretty equivalent to that, a 25% salary. And so I took the job thinking it would be an adventure and kind of a risk because if it didn't work out, then whatever, I'd have to go get a real job. But because I had all that extra time, I used it to talk about the things that I was learning through my TV show and on set and through my interviews and I would translate it all on social media. That's when I started building my own social media following from that show. Um, And then I started writing as a tech journalist. Um, I started writing for a a publication called Mike. Um, I was writing for my own blog and then I started writing more professionally for TechCrunch. And then once I got some of that more professional writing under my belt, that's when my book deals uh, came in. And then after that came in, I started working with Bill Nye on his TV show. And then I made some more connections that ultimately landed me my own Netflix show. But it was something that I was kind of building as I went. And it felt very entrepreneurial where I had extra time on my hands and I, I, I don't like being bored and I always want to be doing something. And so if I don't have a paying job, I will do it for free to build that skill set at first and then leverage that to make it more of a professional thing that I can add to my, my business.
1: How did you start writing for those tech companies who are doing that professional writing? Was
2: it just, did you reach out to people? Did people end up reaching out to you? Yeah, I believe I reached out to them at first because I was already doing what felt like tech journalism, but for my own blog and for social media. And I was covering the space beat in my own way on my own platform. Um, And then there was a new publication called Mike that came about. And I I think they probably put out a call for writers or something. And then I wrote a handful of articles for them that did really well. And from there, that's when I want to say I was approached by TechCrunch, but that was like seven years ago now. So I don't really remember...
0: (laughs) Yeah. And so when you graduated, did you go directly into this, you know, world of STEM communication or were you also working a job before that?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, like as I was graduating, I got the call to be the TV host. So it was oh, like okay. very so that's, good timing for me. That's wow. great. So that's been your full time career then. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I have not had a normal job other than <laughs> internships because, it, you know, internships are nine to five jobs and I've had like six different internships over the course of my college career. But other than that, I have not had a real full-time job ever. And how do you like that? (laughs) I love it. And I don't think that I could ever go back to having a nine to five like that. The idea of going to an office every day for that many hours, that sounds awful to me because for me, I, I just, I love the flexibility. And a lot of my work that I do is very creative and it's hard to force that um, within a short time constraint. And so sometimes like I'll I'll think of a video or content or something that I want to write at like late at night. And I love being able to have the flexibility of not necessarily being as creative as I need to be during the day, but knowing that I can get to it later at night. I have a child now and like my whole life needs to be able to move around my family. And I love that the work that I do can be really flexible in that way.
0: Yeah. And so you're currently filming for Emily's Wonder Lab right now
2: and and Exploration as well? Uh, no. So Emily's Wonder Lab did not get picked up for a season two. But um, yes, Exploration Outer Space, where you are filming season seven of that right now.
0: Oh, wow. Season seven. So that's been so many years, right? 2014 till now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It has been a very long journey and a really great journey because in the beginning, since I never had any TV hosting before um, experience before, I feel like there was a lot of a, a, maybe a steep learning curve in the beginning. Um, And so when I go back and watch earlier episodes, it's very clear that I was just (laughs) starting out. Um, But now I have more confidence. I'm the executive producer of the show. And so I have more control over how I'm presented and what I talk about and who we talk to. And it's just it feels like I have a better grasp on the entire environment. And I think that comes through in my confidence as a TV host. And so, yeah, it's been it's been a really fun journey.
1: Yeah. So maybe on TV or social media, we see a person's successes and the highlight reel, as we call it. What are some of the challenges you've experienced or maybe you're still experiencing today as a TV host and, you know, sharing your journey as a woman in
2: STEM? Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, uh, I think there was Perhaps there just wasn't a lot of understanding of who I was in the industry, and I'm sure a lot of the scientists and engineers who we were speaking with may not be used to talking to TV hosts who also have a background uh, in aerospace engineering. And so a lot of the time, I would have the same exact background as the person that I was interviewing, but they would only talk about their technology to the male cameraman or the male audio person in the room and sort of ignore me. And it felt really disheartening to feel like you were just this, this talking head that was put in a situation to interview them rather than the only person in the room with the relevant expertise to write the interview and truly appreciate what they were working on, which was the case. But now, after seven years of doing the job, after the show winning an Emmy, after becoming an Emmy-nominated host and winning awards in the aerospace industry for our work, our reputation starts to precede us and they know who we are before I come in the room, which is really, really wonderful. It sucks that I had to kind of earn that reputation. Whereas I think if a guy was the host of this show, they might have been afforded more respect and authority in the same situation. But um, it's really nice now to be able to talk to a lot of these people in the industry and. It really did. I mean, for a space nerd like myself, it is a, uh, a dream job to be able to go to the smartest people in this industry and ask them any question I like and be able to highlight their stories on my show. So it's a great situation now. Um, but there were a few bumps along the way in the early days. Yeah, I mean,
0: we hear a lot of those types of similar situations of women on this podcast, you know, that go into the field, having to really earn that respect versus when comparatively um, other men in the field are just automatically given it you know so that's it's really interesting to hear that it's also happening behind the scenes when it comes to just simply uh, stem communication on a television program you know where you're just talking about it at this point you're not even doing you know aside from like doing experiments and things like that it's just it's really interesting And I hope that can change over time. So what would you say has, you know, you mentioned now you're a mother. How would you say that has changed your outlook over the last few years in your life?
2: Yeah, a few different things. I mean, for me, traveling is a huge aspect of my job with speaking engagements and with filming. I travel every other week for a few days, and now I'm just much more efficient with my travel. Um, For example there would be segments in the past where i would say well let's just spend three or four days there to make sure we have everything i need now i'm like let's do all of our research ahead of time to make sure we know exactly what we're filming and i want to be there for the minimum amount possible i want to be in and out the same day if possible um and then with my books uh, that just an ins- that inspired an entirely new line of thinking when it came to books. So my Reach for the Stars book that comes out next year, I wrote after my daughter was born. And in that book, I talk about all the things that I hope that I can teach her throughout life. And so in the book, there's a bunch of different science-y things that I point out to my daughter as she gets older and It's it's about how she reaches for new things at each stage of her life and how I teach her new things at each stage of her life. And it's not something that I would have ever thought that I would have written before I had a kid. And so it's an entirely new creative outlet for me, which is really, really fun to explore.
1: That's so beautiful. (laughs) When does it come out? Is there a scheduled Mm -hmm. date or time frame? Because I definitely want to read it. It sounds so fun.
2: Yeah, March 15th. You can pre-order it now, but it comes out March 15th. (laughs) That's so much fun. Was it a huge difference writing
1: articles versus writing like a full book?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, my Ada Lace Adventures, that was my first creative book series that I co-wrote with somebody else who has more experience in writing children's books. Samson Weston was my co-writer on the Ada Lace series. But this one I wrote entirely on my own. And that's a uh, really fun creative process in itself because it's still iterative like anything else that I would do in this, in this field. But it's, it's just something that I'm really proud of to be able to say this whole thing was something that came out of my brain onto the pages. And I wrote it with a specific person in mind, which makes it really special. And so, yeah, that one was a fun adventure in and of itself.
1: In all honesty, I'm also loving the way that you shifted this into just a specific creative outlet, not just that nine to five or not that one specific way of applying STEM or anything that's engineering related. And you were able to really portray it in a creative way through TV show and books and uh, spread that knowledge and in those type of ways. That's so much fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Everybody kind of learns in a different way in a different medium. And so for me, it's been fun to exercise all of the different things that I'm interested in, whether it be public speaking or creative writing or technical writing um, or TV hosting. I have a new animated show in the works. That's also a science show. And so a lot of the work that I do is just all across the board in terms of audience demographic Um, and medium because, of course, I'm on social media. So I do a lot of videos, educational videos on TikTok, for example. I also do a lot of like science experiments for a preschool audience on Emily's Wonder Lab. I do more of a documentary style videos for middle school, high school and college audiences on exploration outer space with Bill Nye. It's very much more an adult audience there. Um, my at Lace books are middle grade. Reach for the Stars is elementary. And so I'm covering all of the types of demographics that I can, um, which has been really fun and also a challenge because a lot of times people in this space will have a niche. They'll focus on one specific thing, but it's fun for me because as someone with four degrees in this stuff, I don't want to let go of my adult audience because that's where I'm I feel personally really challenged when I'm staying up to date with the aerospace industry and I have that sort of um, professional mindset there, but it's also really inspiring to talk to younger kids and a younger audience. So i um, trying to keep my feet in both worlds. I just love that
1: your background didn't have to be credited by a nine to five. I feel like that's the perspective that a lot of people or students in college take is like, oh, after I get this degree, I need to go get a job to actually make it worth it. Whereas I love the the way that you did it. It was just like you're on entrepreneurial journey by being creative. Now that you've been doing
0: STEM communication for a while, what advice would you give to others that are looking for a similar career path and, you know, want to get out there and do something similar to you?
2: Yeah. um, With everything that I do, the opportunities become more prevalent and easy to obtain when my followership goes up. And so one, I would say focus on building your audience online. And the way that you do that is by focusing on a niche that Niche can be many different things. You don't have to be just one thing. I think people love seeing humanity and empathy in their science as well. And so I, for example, bring a lot of things to my social media, whether it be my perspective of being a mom or my perspective on social issues or women's issues or whatever it is. Um, It's multifaceted, but my niche is, is science and space and uh, posting frequently, you have to kind of feed that content monster all the time. And that is one of the most important things in growing up an audience is just like throwing a bunch of stuff on the board and seeing what sticks and being iterative and being open to feedback and trying new things, but also sticking with things that work consistently so that people know what to expect and then posting high quality content. So A lot of times when it's science-related, doing the extra work to make sure it's well-researched can go a long way and is really appreciated uh, online, I think. There's a lot of people who really look for that uh, when they follow different science communicators. And so, yeah, um, finding your niche, posting frequently, and posting high-quality content is my best advice when you're trying to build your own social media following.
0: And then from there, would you recommend reaching out to these companies and agencies yourself? I guess like to get an opportunity to, you know, on a larger scale, like you have been doing for TV shows and that sort, would you say networking is the biggest key?
2: Um. So with TV shows, a lot of times uh, the way that I've seen that work is producers will reach out to you when you have a large enough social media following, you kind of have to prove that you are going to be good at the job that you're hoping to get. So if you want to be on camera talent, don't just post a bunch of pictures online because you may build a social media following, but a producer will have no understanding of how you actually talk on camera and so, yeah, again, building that social media following is key. And, yeah, making connections with other science communicators who are in your same field to make those connections, um, that can be really beneficial just so you understand what's, what's out there. Because every once in a while there will be some sort of casting, like open call for casting. I don't, I don't know that I particularly find those very useful, but if you build yourself a social media following – Then you can get to the point where a manager might be interested in representing you. And then that is where you can get connections uh, in the TV world.
1: That sounds fun. (laughs) That's a good process. (laughs) But yeah, it makes sense. I mean, everything, even for like job applications, it's, it's just same process, but different, (laughs) different industry. Um, You mentioned that, you know, your book is coming out next year, but is there anything else that the future holds for you? Anything that our listeners should look out for and, you know, any way we can support you?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the the biggest thing that I'm working on right now is a new animated science show for kids called Emily Space Camp. Uh We are currently pitching it now and we're doing something a bit unique, which is telling the world about the show before it's been picked up by anybody. We're in the process of talking to a bunch of different networks about it, but I'm also talking to my followers and being transparent about what it takes to create an animated science show which has been a fun peek behind the curtain because this is my first time doing this. And so I'm learning along the way and just sharing the pieces of it that I find really interesting. And so the best way to support that project is to kind of like and share and comment on the stuff that I post related to Emily's Space Camp so that the networks that we're talking to see that there is a built-in audience already excited about this potentially coming to life.
0: That sounds super exciting. What's the age range you're targeting for this, this animated show?
2: Yeah, that one is likely because it can be tweaked at this point in time because we're still in the early phases, but we have written a pilot, and that was sort of written um, with maybe like four to eight-year-olds in mind.
1: Oh, okay. That's so cool. That's, yeah, that's so cool and adorable. <laughs> I really hope it gets picked up. And, I mean, as you mentioned, the more people that can, you know, show interest, I think the more it will increase your chances. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: when you're not working on, you know, hosting your TV shows and producing that, what do you like to do for fun?
2: Well, when there's not a pandemic, I love to travel. Um, I'm (laughs) a big fan of international travel and Italy in particular. And so I am very much looking forward to things Settling down and opening up again uh, in a year or whenever. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, before we wrap up, do you want to just one more time share uh, your handle, where our listeners can find you, connect with you? any yeah. platforms that you want to share.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, on social media, I'm at the space gal. You can also find me at the space gal.com and all of my merch is available at space gal store.com. Awesome.
1: Perfect. Yeah. We'll have everything um, linked down on the show notes, but thank you so much, Emily, for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks so much. We'll stay in touch. Okay, everyone, that was it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to leave us a review, share it with your friends. And if you're able to, you can also leave a small donation at anchor.fm slash engineering gals. We'll talk to you next Monday.